Welcome to episode 47 of the Hop Edition, people. Today we are joined by a legend, a legend of the podcast, a man who has single-handedly managed to make Owen spit out a beer. This man, uh, we didn't actually know whether or not he was real, but as you can see from the live streams, he is very real. He does exist, and it is actually his real name. Uh, we've got this man on because he's a home brewer turned pro brewer. He's an all-round good lad, and to be fair, he is the man who made uh, a certain woman at a Costa drive-thru when Luke Stevens was going through it almost poop herself. Ivan Juggins, a man with a Yorkshire heritage, if I'm correct in this, born in New Zealand, now living in Australia. It's eight o'clock at night where he is. It's two o'clock where o'clock. we are, and it's not. It's some time o'clock where he is. <laughs> it's the future. He's in it's the future. The future. Anyway. <laughs> Speaking to us from the future. Ivan Juggins is in the house, gentlemen. Welcome, Ivan. How you going? We're all good, uh, mate. So I do exist, and I'm not German. We've worked this one out. Just, just to clear Australian. off a few uh, things from the previous pod. <laughs> I, I was uh, born in New Zealand. My granddad is from Yorkshire. Um, I've been living in Australia nine years now, so I do see myself as an Australian now, but um, yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Interesting. I mean, you've got some Yorkshire in there, so that's a good thing. I got a I got a Yorkshire rose on my leg and a fern as well. And strangely, so have I. <laughs> <laughs> what you got a Yorkshire rose as well as the fern, Chris? I knew yeah, you I've got both. Fern. I've got you both. Got both. Oh, there yeah, you yeah. go. Look at that. I'll I'll post a picture so you can use it as a thumbnail if you want. Um. Yeah. It's. Uh, it's good to have you on, mate. It's uh, It's been a while. And I want to apologise because we associated your name with tits. And to be fair, <laughs> jugs, tits. Mm. It, was, if, it was an easy... If you look up the actual uh, name on Google, it's not very flattering. It says it's uh, oh. the village idiot. I mean... <laughs> You can see how our infantile <laughs> sense of humour on this podcast ended up going in that direction, though. So, yeah, uh, yeah. we can only apologise. I mean, Owen should be on this podcast to, to apologise directly himself, because I think he was the one that was the main instigator on that. But uh, we'll, we'll have to no, do that. No, he, he wasn't. It was me. Behalf. I, it was I, just was Owen it? who spat beer all over his oh, PC. Oh, it was Owen. Yeah, yeah. Now I need to go yeah. back and but, find this one. It was the. I'm thinking of something di- completely different. I'm well, I think we might have um, we might have mentioned your name on more than one episode. You see, so there was a yeah. a particular incident with the with Owen spitting beer out, and then there was the other one where I think somebody mentioned you because of the German or the perceived German link, which doesn't actually exist. So, but I think mind. actually on my nana's side there is German uh, heritage. So there there is a little bit in there, but it's not that I know of think i mean you are the ultimate heinz 57 aren't you really oh, bits of, <laughs> bits of this no, bits of that 
I'm on my mum's side, so I'm only going off my dad's side of the family. Um, off my mum's side, and there, I definitely know my that they're Scottish as well. So, <laughs> definitely Mate. from your side of the world, more. Absolutely, absolutely. So, as you know, Ivan, you uh, we normally start start off the pod with what you're drinking. So, what have you got in the glass to start you off? So, I've actually got our. Um, our red cat, which is a seasonal um, autumn beer, which is a red IPA. So basically, we do we have a one beer called Copycat, which is the brewery's sort of flagship beer. Um, it won Champion Beer in Australia back in 2014. Um, so it's kind of a a big beer to um, keep producing and keeping it up to the standard mm-hmm. that uh, Charlie, who was the head brewer at the time when he created it, um, keeping keeping up to his standard. Um, I think we're doing... I, I don't think we've actually said what the brewery is that you work at yet. So do you uh, want to just tell us yeah, where, so, where it is that you work? <laughs> so I work at um, Mash Brewing, which is in Western Australia in the Swan Valley. Um, Swan Valley is like a area in the outskirts of... It's sort of the eastern, northeastern suburbs of Perth, um, and it's it's white like wineries and a lot of farms and everything. And there's half a dozen breweries there. Um, one being around the corner that was there, it's gone now. Um, was Feral Brewing, which is probably one of the bigger ones now they they got brought by coca-cola um so they they've got a huge production facility uh their old brew pubs just reopening and there's probably another couple of us around the area still um but my one's been there mash has been there since 2006 uh so is that 16 years yeah yep. 16, 16 years <laughs> it's been there so um, so we're, we're, I'd say we're not, we're not a large brewery, um, but we're one of the original Perth craft breweries. So we are in a lot of like the big chain, um, supermarket, uh, big, sorry, big chain alcohol stores, uh, which are owned by supermarket companies, um, over here and also independence. So we have a lot of canning um, going on as well as keg stock. So we do a lot of out of venue stuff as well as in and have uh, other pubs around Perth buy kegs and cans, etc. Sweet. You do much in the way of sort of shifting shifting product out into the bars and all the other sort of stuff around there, and you're selling it in these. Because I don't know how does it work in Australia. Can you buy beer in a supermarket? Ah, uh, no. So you can't you can't go into like what are our supermarkets um, and buy buy beer. But the big ones like what it, Coles and Woolworths. So Woolworths will have like a BWS bottle store usually attached to it next door. They've built with all their new buildings and they also have a big um, a big warehouse 
tight one called Dan Murphy's, which is Australia wide, and uh, it's yeah, it's huge. It's so uh, it's got stock from all over Australia and international. Like there's a lot of UK beers even in there. Wow, but they can be hit and miss how they've been treated going into those stores. So they're not traveling you, very far though, are they really? For us, <laughs> not so much, but for, for your stuff and the American stuff, it can be oh, hit yeah. and miss if you spend $8 on a, on a single can and get home and it's been sitting in the Perth sun or something like that at some point down at Fremantle yeah, docks. That's not ideal. <laughs> no, which I've had a couple. So is any of your uh, stuff from your brewery getting exported out of Australia at all or um, is it just sort of domestic? Uh, at the minute. Just domestic at the minute. Mm-hmm. Um, I there are some places that I have seen because I look on Untapped um, just to keep an eye on what people are saying, making sure yeah. that I, there's not too many complaints or anything. And uh, I've seen some in places that I know we don't sell to. So um, there are people that obviously buy and distribute it themselves on. Mm-hmm. Um, but I haven't seen any outside of outside of Australia, no. We tend to get a lot of, well, I say a lot, we tend to get some New Zealand beers more than we get. I mean, obviously we get Foster's, which is made in Tadcaster. Um, it's like not even remotely Australian, the stuff that we get. And you, you do get see some... Foster's. Well, that's, I mean, we shouldn't ever see Foster's. It's shit. <laughs> Nobody should see Foster's. But um, we do get, like, VB and stuff like that. Um, oh. And that's crap as well. Um, and then we tend to get a lot of the stuff from New Zealand, things like the Yeasty Boys stuff. We get some of their kit. Um, and, uh, oh, God, what's the other big Australian one that we get? A uh, big New Zealand one that we get over here. Uh, would it be get Garage Project? Oh. We we do see them as well, but there's another one that I'm thinking. They were at the Leeds International Beer Festival a couple oh, of years ago, and eight. I've seen them everywhere. Epic? Yes. 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 Epic, e- Epic are pretty big. See, I didn't, yeah, when they, I lived I, in New Zealand, I didn't know about craft beer. So I grew up actually um, about an hour's drive away from Garage Project. Right. Which is Pretty cool. probably my favourite New Zealand brewery, so that's a bit of a shame. North Island or South Island? Uh, north. So grew up just Everyone's got problems. But it's the southern end of North Island. All right. So, yeah. Did you ever do the jet ski ride across? No, I've, I've, I've never been to the South Island. I'm not sure we could be friends. <laughs> 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 mate i suppose you're living in australia now why would you go there um yeah that's pretty cool i mean it would be nice if there was a way to actually get beers from because i know australia's got quite a pumping craft beer scene i know that there's a lot of you know really good craft breweries over there just we don't really get them and it, i mean i can understand you're literally on the other side of the earth unless you believe in the flat earth, in which case you're a bit over there. Yeah. And, you know, it it would be cool to have some of your beers over here, but... I think there's a few breweries that are, are coming over now, but they're obviously, like you said, they're probably the bigger ones. I mean, I'm, I'm aware of, like, 
little creatures and stone and wood and yeah um, which are owned by owned by um big big chain breweries now so yeah, little, little so creatures is originally from here in perth um oh, free mantle, okay. but they yep. have they have breweries now in different states in australia malaysia new zealand america um there's about seven different breweries that i know of that they have they're owned by the so is that one of the really big like international breweries that's kind of effectively bought them out now as well or yeah so lion own them um okay yeah yeah you've got lion and carlton united are the two the two big guys over here um and yeah lion so lion owns little creatures so it kind of makes sense that those are the ones that are probably getting exported uh in significant amounts i guess more more than some of the others and i'm pretty sure if you look at yeasty boys um, they started in New Zealand, but the brewer moved to London and lives there now. So the brewery is actually in London somewhere. Really? Really? Okay. <laughs> That's new. I, I thought they were still New drinking Zealand. New Zealand beers. I, I heard it on a different podcast. I can't remember which one it was the other week. Oh, right. That or I'm dreaming. One of the two. They may have two breweries. They may have one over here and one over there, which is why we've got so many of them over here. I don't know. But Pretty to be sure fair. I saw that he moved there and he started one there. But if, if you go to London anyway, mate, there's fucking shitloads of Australians and Kiwis there anyway, and they all work in a walkabout. So, you know, millions of them. They come with a backpack and they never chuff and leave. Um, I think that the same can be said the other way in Australia, no doubt. You think? <laughs> so, where I, so where I live is about um, probably about 40 minutes, thirty at this time of night, 30 minutes straight down the freeway to Perth City, but I'm north of the city uh so i live in a coastal um suburb but it's just suburbia it just carries on from the city out to us and um around us there's a area called brighton which is the suburb about five minutes uh just over from here where my brother lives and yeah it's full of english i'll bet it is i'll bet it is I could pull off an English accent, but it'd probably be bad. I mean, I could try and do a New Zealand one, but I think my dad would slap me. Um, One of the first times I went there, when I did a first move, someone told me that this area is full of English, and this lady was calling her dog in her English accent, and she's like, London, London, get back here. (laughs) 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 The dog's the world over, mate. I mean, it takes all sorts, doesn't it? Uh, we still haven't finished what we're drinking, so Tricky, what are you drinking, mate? Yeah, I was going to say we better do ours, otherwise they're going to be gone. So um, I have oh rather nice-looking raspberry and honey pale ale, which was actually sent to me for, by Luke, who we've already mentioned. Uh, nice. So Luke Stevens, thank you very much for this. Um, and, yeah, it's a, it's a pale ale, so it's not like a sour beer or anything. It's just obviously got... Quite a bit of raspberry in it, as you can tell by the colour, and um, obviously you must use some honey as well. And it's just a really nice, light, obviously quite raspberry-flavoured pale ale. It's um, uh, I don't know how much sort of honey flavour you get from it as such, but I know honey can quite easily just ferment out and not leave behind a huge amount of residual flavour. But it's got a nice dry sort of finish to it so maybe it's 
it's helped in that sense as well. But yeah, it's just really smashable, nice summer beer to be drinking when it's pissing down with rain outside on a lovely day like this in the UK. So <laughs> I've got to, yeah, I've got to cheers admit, to that, Luke. That was really good. It's not raining where I am, but it's it's certainly turned cold. So uh, in fact, it is currently it's currently twenty degrees in the shed. Considering yesterday when I started up my sous vide from work. I had a look at the temperature in the shed and it was 29. Yeah, I was really glad we did not do the podcast yesterday because my bollocks would have been swimming. Um, There's uh, a nice thought for everybody. Absolutely. <laughs> the uh, pictures, pictures in people's minds. Uh, I'm just, I'm drinking the uh, the Keller Kolsch, the beer that will not clear. Um, because honestly, I've had keg after keg after keg kick on me this week i've lost the n-word uh, sorry not the n-word the a-word i've lost the northern monkey my wheat beer kicked last night so i need to get my brewing pants on and get some brewing done say, to be fair. i need to need to fire up that that brewery again i need to because it's uh yeah it's, it's a bit of a pain but this is a lovely smashable beer it's perfect summer beer nice and nice and light bit of flavor from the uh from the hops, um, nice multi backbone, perfect barbecuing beer, which is incidentally what I've been doing this morning. Perfect, very nice. So let's just rewind a little bit. So um, I've kind of known of you, and I think we've we've spoken sort of in the past before, Ivan, through you being on the like BrewTube groups, and you yeah. used to do a few videos and stuff when you were you were home brewing. So um, you've obviously sort of gone from that kind of homebrew element uh, and then moved into professional brewing so do you want to s- just give us a little bit of a um sort of wh- wh- when has that all happened how long have you been in doing the professional stuff how long were you homebrewing before and how did you kind of get into um doing it as a job basically yeah so i dabbled with a few little kits back in the day when i was about 20 um in new zealand but they were horrendous the whole Cooper's kit and care though, throw it in the cupboard next to the hot water cylinder and just crank the heat up on it and churn a beer out in 24 hours sort of thing. And they they (laughs) want no such thing as sanitation or anything back then. And uh, yeah, they were bad. And then we tried to make some apple cider and uh, we lived in a little tiny country town and, um, at eight o'clock at night, everything was shut. And one of my flatmates, he was a, he still is a big Maori bloke. And um, he used to drive around to the parties and try and sell them bottles when they were drunk. Like we'd put it into juice, three liter juice bottles. <laughs> he'd try and sell them for like 30 bucks a bottle <laughs> when they'd run out of booze. <laughs> Which we did sell one batch, but yeah, they were, they were horrendous. Uh, there's probably, if my dad, went to the back shed. I don't know if he's still got it there. There was some some bottles out there that are probably still in there. Um, they'll be about 12 years old now. So I did that. Then um, I moved to, an, moved to Australia properly in 2014. And I would say I started homebrewing again. Um Late in that year, start of the next year, uh, did one or two Cooper's kits and then went straight into making my own all-grain 
system out of like a, a cooler in Esky um, and doing it on the stovetop. Um, then I met my, uh, well, I was actually with my, uh, she was at the time my girlfriend, she's now my wife, and um, we, I moved into her parents' place, so I put brewing, the brewing on hold as we were um, saving up to buy a house. And then it was Christmas time, um, about 2016, I think, a robo brew came up for sale and I managed to nab it for like a hundred bucks and picked it up on the what? way back. <laughs> and, uh, nice. Yeah. So I've still got that. I use it as my HLT when I'm brewing at home. Um, I sent a thing to keg, keg King recently saying that it's still going and they, they were having a laugh that it's still alive after that many years. Be seven, seven, eight years old probably now. And, um, yeah, so I started brewing properly then and uh, got into it quite full on, I suppose, and pretty much two years into it, I I really enjoyed it and wanted to take it on as a job. I was uh, doing sign installation, so um, get to travel around and and Perth being not a very big place in the scheme of things. You got to go to all the breweries and whatnot anyway, um, quite easy in the weekend. So you stayed quite get into that. And then um, the brewery where I'm at, they actually put a job up and I sent them an email just basically saying, you know, I'm not a commercial brewer, but I've been brewing for four years now and I, I want to get into commercial brewing. And they, they got me to come out for an interview. Um, I had the interview and I took half a dozen, uh, of my homebrews along as well. So, which is a big thing, you know, taking to, to a commercial brewery saying, Hey, I want to come work and make beer and here's stuff I made at home. It's pretty risky. It can either go two ways. They can enjoy what you drink or think this guy can't make a decent beer. We won't bother with him. That's a shit or bust moment now, isn't it? Yeah, and what was lucky was the beers I had at the time, I'd made a Kentucky Common. Um, I had about three of the beers were really random styles, Um, and I was was into that experimenting, and I'd actually started my own uh, wild ferment at home, um, like a kind of like a Solera type project. So... I took a bottle of my um, golden sour out, which was had been conditioning for like a year, um, and then it been in the bottle, and uh, they really liked it. And that's where the direction that they were wanting to head was making some of these wild styles of beer. Um, and then basically, I got told we'll contact you on Monday. And Monday came and I never heard back. And the boss is adamant that he offered me a job and I turned him down, which wasn't true. But, um, but he, um, six months later, randomly just put on Easter, the Thursday of Easter weekend, um, he messaged me saying, mate, how are you going? Like, we've got 
an option here? Do you, do you still want to become a commercial brewer? And so I, I, I rang him back and said, yeah, like, but, and our um, son had just been born then. So my wife had finished work and um, I was the sole income for the house. So I went out, had an interview and again, another one and had a chat and he gave, gave me 24 hours to make my decision up. And so I made my decision up and uh, moved into commercial brewing. Uh, I had to give four weeks notice at my other job, which which was nice because it gave me time. So what I was doing was the brewers that were on, um, I was actually popping in after work and just slowly getting to know them and having a beer with them and, and stuff along the way. And uh, so, so when the first day came, it wasn't so daunting. Um, very first day was straight in 6am start brewing one of the core range beers. Um, so I was shadow brewing, um, the, the brewer that was there, he was leaving. Um, he actually listens to the podcast, so I'll give him a shout out, uh, Rob. So he, he was like my master Yoda, um, so basically, oh, am I still there? Yeah, yeah, he, you're still there, mate. Oh, my end it it, it jammed up. Um, so basically, yeah, he he was he was a a pilot for um, well, still is pilot for Qantas, and COVID had hit, so he went into um, basically they you know no no flying, so he had his COVID job of brewing but was going back to being a pilot again so he went part-time and trained me and uh basically yeah I, I i did probably three brews shadowing him four brews and then was just thrown straight in the deep end and um yeah that was so that was a year ago um so i've been doing it one year now and yeah, so he finished up, and now there's just two of us out there, and um, yeah. It strikes me as a bit of a baptism of fire, not completely dissimilar to what happened to me when when I got my job in the brewery. You you kind of you turn up and you think there's going to be this soft, soft kind of get in there, see how it ends up, and it's not at all like that. It's right. It's like any other job. It's just the the fear factor is much higher because yeah. of what you're actually doing. You know, it, it's, it's all well and go on. There you go. All I was going to say is it's like with, with most other jobs where you turn up and you walk in through the door, you kind of, you're in there and you know full well, you can't really damage anything in the first couple of weeks. You may, you know, not file something in the right place. You might not, you know, all those kinds of things that you do, it's not really, it's not got that fear factor. There's no, there's none of that ultimate pressure. You walk into a brewery as a home brewer, you're used to, right. I do things this way. I do my sanitation this way. I do this this way. I clean this way. I design my recipes this way. I know my brewery inside out. And then you walk into a, into a, into a proper commercial brewery and you see the big kit and it's like, shit. This is, you know, 12, 15, 1800 litres of beer 
And if I fuck this up, that beer's going down. The, that's a hell of a drain pour. Yeah. It's it's yeah. a real scary moment when you walk in. It, it's it's a real scary moment. So I I did, you know, very similar to what you did, except I had nobody to shadow. I just had to jump straight in, learn the kit, work out where everything went. What does this lever do? How do I pump this here, there, and everywhere? And then all of a sudden, you know, it's like, right, we're brewing tomorrow. This is this is the batch that you're making. Off you go, get it done kind of thing. Yeah, so... So when you said about uh, not breaking things, um, that I was going to bring that in a little bit later. So we were we were at a stage, not not long after I started actually. Um, basically, we we were running our cold liquor tank also as a hot liquor tank. Right. Uh, it, it was it was a grunty element, and what we were doing was the one of the elements was blown in the uh, HLT. So what we were doing was circulating overnight between the two pumps. So one sat slightly higher than the other. So we were feeding from the smaller tank in and then it would overflow and go back into the small um, that way. And that was a case of turning that switch on, on the manifold. We did a probably... 12, 13 hour day. Um, I was left to flick the switches on when I go home. Yep, easy enough. Flick the switch on, come in the next day, turn the other one on, which fed to the other tank. So it went in reverse, which dropped the water level down oh, because that flowed no. out. And because it was a drop in element, the stupid thing, the element was at the top, wasn't down the bottom. Even though this thing is about four meters tall. <laughs> the ele- main elements at the top, seven thousand dollar element blown up. <laughs> nice. Uh, so, so we, so we didn't tell the boss, and we had him uh, have a few drinks, and then told him, <laughs> and he ended up sleeping at the brewery that night. He got hammered. <laughs> right. I mean, that's that's one way of doing it. That is one way of doing it. Um. Yeah. So, but but you know, there was just those things when you're when you're behind. And you're learning, and yeah, so. I think one of the things that we're going to have to cover in this podcast is just how steep is that learning curve it, when you yeah. go from homebrew to commercial. Because, I mean, as much as I'm always for somebody following their dreams, and if you want to get into commercial brewing, it is a very rewarding job. But <laughs> that learning curve is hella steep. All right. This, this is not. You're not going to learn it all in half an hour. Do you know what I mean? It's. It's. You, you're going to have like three, four, five, maybe six weeks, where you're going to be absorbing information like a sponge, and you're going to have to learn the quirks and the foibles because no two breweries are ever the same. Yeah, you've got to learn. Yeah, most of us, the vast majority of people who homebrew, use something like percarbonate or PBW. And that, yeah, and and then you move on to your star sand, and that's good enough for a home brewery. Yeah, that you're not ain't using pyrocetic acid or exactly pure phosphoric acid or um, um, caustic, caustic soda. Caustic. Yeah. I got I got a burn on my leg where um, even though I wear full gear, a splash from the caustic hit onto my pants, burnt through, and burnt a hole into my leg. 
like I've got a scar on my foot where um, just working. So I have gum boots up to my up to my knees basically, and uh, just working on the manifold, changing things around, and some hot like water from the HLT line that I'd just been using. I was changing the hoses. It came out, sprayed down, like not sprayed, like rolled down, dripped off and went down my gumboot into my boot, filled my boot up with 95 degree water. And thankfully I got my foot out very fast and hosed it and ended up with a scab about that big on top of my foot, right in the part where your shin meets your, your foot so it was the rubbing top of your ankle yeah yes. people definitely don't consider that sort of hazard element to, to the professional brewers like you yeah say, Chris, like you know the chemicals you're using just the scale of the equipment you're working on you know it's industrial processes with and, extremely hot liquid and dangerous chemicals that, and the know. other thing is tra- transferring under co2 you know like mm. doing a pressure transfer from you know a little um a little Firmzilla all around there, even though it's, you know, it's still pressure. But you're talking about a 3000 litre system where you're, where you're pushing, pushing beer out and then you've pressurized that tank to nearly a bar or whatever. Um, you know, you can be, that's a lot of pressure if you don't know what you're doing and you take a pressure relief valve off and it's, it flies through the roof or something or yeah. worse <laughs> through your head or. <laughs> Because here's, here's the thing that most people don't realize is if I've got my all-rounder pressurized to 25 PSI, one and a half bar, right, that's fine. There ain't a lot of square inches yeah. right, inside mine. If you've got a 3,000-liter piece of kit, it's a fucking lot of square inches if you're running that at 15 PSI, yeah. right? There's a whole lot of square inches. There is a whole lot more force coming out of there. A whole lot more drive. You get hit by one of those pressure release valves. Yeah, you know, mm. it's oh, going to do you. some. Yeah, yeah. You're gonna, you're going to lose your, at the very least if you got your face over it. You're going to lose part of your face. Yeah, yeah. You know, that it, pro brewing is no joke. And I mean, I've had people talk to me about, oh, I'm going to get some paracetic acid and use it on the homebrew scale. And my response is, why the fuck are you going to do that? Yeah, I'm I'm a chemist, right? I deal with nasty shit all day. I have full PPE on. I take maximum precautions. I work in a fume cupboard. I've got a glove box I can use if I really don't like the stuff. Yeah. Right? I don't have to get anywhere near the stuff I'm working with nine times out of ten if I don't want to. If you're a pro brewer and you're pumping paracetic acid around, it takes one line to split, one connection not to be on right, and you're covered in it. Mm. And that is a major, major difference. And... The homebrew scales are exactly the same. I know people who try and do sit protocols on homebrew kit. Yeah. It don't work. It don't work. Just don't do it. Just fucking get your hands in there and scrub the shit. It's not worth it. Yeah. You've got See, to factor in that there's a hell of a lot of people who will be drinking while they're homebrewing as well. Exactly. And uh, these are, you know, you're not these, treating these it are, with these the same level things, of respect, yeah. are you? <laughs> so I think uh, that's got to be got to be part of the, the judgment call when it comes to like you say, integrating some of those professional, especially the substances and chemicals that you're talking about there. It's just why. It's, it's unnecessary. Yeah, um, exactly. It's 
it it it's it is a good industry to work in um but i think the other thing is is a lot of people don't know that well don't factor in that it's not as fun as homebrewing you know it's a job at the end mm-hmm. of the day you're expected to hit targets you're expected to do all this work and just get it done you know and you know then care like they did well they do care but they you know you're employed to to make the product that's your job so a lot of people also think oh you get to go in and just take free cartons like my like mates and stuff go to me like oh you know how come you never bring a carton down um when i catch up with them and i'm like because i don't get cartons like my dad said it right it, to me he said you know you're getting paid to make that product and he is a he's a school teacher but his trade is a plumber he's like you know if a plumber puts the queen's toilet in doesn't mean they get to shit on that toilet <laughs> you know Without the truth. Love it. so so i was like that, that's a good way of thinking about it <laughs> But that's ultimately what it comes down to. You're producing a product for resale to make profit. Yeah. To cover costs and make profit. Why would people expect you to just be able to walk into the coal room, pick up a crate of cans and walk out with it? Yeah, It it don't work that way. It's like walking into the photocopy room in a school and saying, I want five boxes of paper. Hmm. They're going to go, why do you want that? And you go, for my kids to draw on at home. It's not going to work, is it? They're going to be like, sling your hook. Yeah, that's why you don't ask. You just go and yeah. That's why you just take it anyway. But um, (laughs) we both work in colleges, so yeah. It's it's one of them things you can't you can't expect when you're scaling up to the level that you are going from. You know, my my brew system's a fifty litre system. Yeah. When I'm brewing on a fifty litre system, it's not the same as brewing on a two and a half thousand litre system. It's twenty. It's it's economies of scale the scale is it it may not oh you're just scaling up well okay i'll tell you what instead of making a small little one liter batch of soup for you and your missus to have for your tea let's see you make 50 liters of soup and see how everything's different yeah let's see you lift that fucking pan take this then on wednesday i milled uh my my grains for wednesday plus then during the brew i milled my grains for thursday which was 16 25 kilo bags each. <laughs> so that's a lot of, uh, that's a lot of grains to mill and, uh, Oh, absolutely. And move, you know, compared to doing the old four kilo. Yeah. I mean, people know me, my, ba- my battery on my drill runs out normally every third brew. <laughs> if, <laughs> I'd be screwed, wouldn't I? That'd be a hell of a lot of drill batteries I'd need. Oh. But it's a nightmare, mate. It's 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 the scale of it. The scale of it is so completely alien to most people. Yeah, they could never. If I even if I was to take one of the better home brewers who'd never worked in a commercial brewery and then put him in a commercial brewery and gone, make me a beer. He'd yeah. make me a beer. But would it be as good as the stuff he's making on his kit that he knows left, right, and centre? The answer is no. It wouldn't be because the scale is vastly different. Yeah, I mean, my first brew, I didn't even um, didn't even hit numbers. You know, like I was that far out. 
by the time yeah. I was brewing on my own, I was hitting hitting numbers, and um, obviously, uh, record keeping's a major thing too. That we don't, as home brewers, don't probably maybe with Brewfather now a bit more, but before that, there was a lot more on the fly. Like I know for myself, I'd design a recipe and just brew it. Then if I wanted to brew it again, I'd go, oh, what what happened there or Whereas, you know, we're, we're monitoring. Meticulous. Yeah. Because if we're doing a double brew day and I'm the first brew, the second brewer, he wants to be able to look back at the same point in the brew to make sure we're tracking the same or if he's tracking better, what, why is he tracking better or um, what adjustments do we have to make or pH or whatever. Um, so, yeah, so that was another big big thing i think was um you know the record keeping and hitting those numbers but i actually so we brew like i was saying before the seasonal um beers one for every season so one of the early beers i made was black cat which is our winter black ipa um i referenced my brew sheet the other day for that beer and i started the exact same same time in the morning but this year finished four hours in front of what I did last <laughs> year. <laughs> so there's, it just shows the scale, like you're saying, the scale of learning, um, learning how to, how quick you need to lauder or sparge or, yeah. you know, transfer a beer or where you can claw back a bit of time here and there. You know, like, there's nothing, there's nothing that sucks as badly as a stuck mash on a commercial bit of kit. <laughs> I see the pain in your face because you've experienced it a few times. You, um, you you talk about me, this oh, I was literally, I was literally about to ask you about that, Ivan, because you sent me a picture of right. your mash tun lo- loaded up with donuts, and I think I shared it to you guys as well, didn't I? Chris? You did, you did, and uh, two thousand like, donuts. Oh, wow. <laughs> I bet that was a fun brew day. 2,000 so. donuts, no rice holes. Stick, sticky mash by any chance? Huge, huge stuck mash. Yeah. Um, and then I think I shared you the aftermath photos, which only a few people got to see, was where we thought, well, not we, I thought that I drained <laughs> all the liquid out the mash tun that I could get and then put my we we wheel a trolley in which has got a 40 gallon the blue 40 gallon drums cut in half um yeah and we put it underneath the door dig out into it wheel it out onto a pallet out the back wheel it back through because we actually have to cut across our pub restaurant part so our brew kit's actually directly behind the bar so when people are in the during the week they can watch us in action so you have to be careful that you're not swearing your head off if it's all going wrong. And uh, <laughs> I opened the mash tun door and just got completely showered and it went up the wall. Um, yeah, so it went everywhere. I think I lost about 200 kilos to the ground <laughs> and had to have so a shovel. So just a big layer of uh, wort still stuck on top of the, the grain bed, basically, when you open the door. Pretty much. Came straight out. Yeah. Fun times. So, you don't have an agitating mash tun. No, Did not have a. Nah, mate. <laughs> she's she's the original kit that they had in two thousand and six. 
So, so what was the thinking behind the donut beer? Because it was it a, a kind of like recycling food waste type. Yeah. Um, so basically, so basically, this beer um, was done with it was a collab with with two others really. Um, so Adrian, uh, the head brewer, his partner, she runs a company called Donut Waste, but it's the play on terms. She uses a donut logo but it's like do not waste and she goes around collecting products that are going to go to waste and finds a way of reusing them um so she one of her main things is coffee grounds and collecting them from cafes and whatnot and they get taken to a place where they get turned into compost and get then get resold back out as rich compost you know um, it's banging as well. I, I just want to jump in here because I've actually used, because uh, I've got my own compost, which is literally the other side of this wall. And um, one of the guys around the corner, Alan, who I've mentioned a few times, drinks more coffee than any other human I've ever met in my life. And he doesn't do anything with it. He just lobs it straight into the bin. So I take around a bucket every now and then and I get all of his coffee grounds off of him bring them around, throw them into the compost to give them a good mix in. It makes the best compost. It is the shit. Apparently coffee grounds are quite good as a substrate for growing mushrooms as well. Random facts that I've uh, heard before. So if you... Particularly um, psilocybin. They're quite... Well, um, (laughs) Depending on which way you... Which way you go with your way of converting them. Like if you do cold brew versus hot brew, the pH changes in them as well they go alkaline or acidic um okay it's more it's more acidic more acidic as a cold brew i'm pretty sure because we no, we've it's actually more been helping, a hot brew is it more acidic as a hot brew because we've been yeah, helping a, a startup company um that are doing cold brew coffee so they've been using some tank space off us and um yeah, so we haven't done it for a few months now, but um, they're, they're working behind the scenes and it's going to come back on again. But yeah, so getting back to that beer, the other company is a company called Oz Harvest. So they um, basically, they go around all the big supermarkets and stuff and they collect uh, food. And then that food is then given out as to people in need, like homeless people, people living, you know, right on the line of poverty. So donuts, they collect donuts from the major places like Krispy Kremes and stuff like that. But a lot of the people that they're giving out to have, like, a lot of issues, like homeless people who aren't in the best of health and have diabetes and stuff. So they don't want to be giving out packets of donuts to these people. So basically... They collect them and just have to dispose of them. Like there's nothing they can do with do with them, um, except for make beer. Yeah. So so <laughs> she she was speaking to them. She talked to her partner. He's the brewer, and we, we all had a chat about could we make a beer, and we're like, yeah. So we decided let's use these donuts to try and build up the base of this beer and we decided to go with the idea of making a pastry neeper um the pay though the play on words the pastry neeper we did use lactose in it to get some sweetness back because as you guys would know donuts being simple sugars 
fully ferment out. Ferment and out, yeah. Everyone's going, I can't taste donut. And you're like, because it's sugar. What is a donut? It's sugar. You can't taste sugar because what is yeast to it? Eat sugar. Why is that beer 7%? <laughs> um, <laughs> so, so yeah, so so we had to put some lactose in there and um, get get that perceived sweetness back and then basically hit it with a lot of dry hop to cover it because the actual beer underneath didn't taste that nice. Like, it's not much flavor left behind, you know. It's a very dry um sort of flavor and yeah so so we basically would we put the base grains in so we could get the the enzymes and uh we just we just mashed and kept mashing and kept chucking donuts in and eventually they were coming out the top of the mash tun and just poking them with the mash paddle <laughs> and uh he's got an axe what is he up to uh- well, let's just Chris off to attend to some business. With an axe? I've no idea what's going on there. Carry on. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for, for those of, that will be listening to the uh, podcast after this, without the video, Chris just sort of stood up with an axe and popped out the shed for a minute. But he's back now. Wait, there doesn't so seem to be any blood stains or anything. So Fucking magpies. Oh, magpies, right. Oh. They literally, because my, my shed's right at the bottom of the garden, I've got three trees and there's magpie nests in each tree. And because my shed roof's flat, all of the berries and stuff off the trees fall onto it. So I end up with fucking magpies walking around all the time. And it's really irritating when you try and do a podcast. And it was showing up on a bloody audio. So I had to go and deal with it. I didn't, I was never going to hit the magpie with it, but it's the only deal thing I've it. got. <laughs> That I, because I've got, I store wood on the top of my shed. I can whack the bits of wood with this and they fly off. Yeah, nice. It was perfectly innocent use of the axe in the end. No, it it was literally, it was, it was used to hit a piece of wood. (laughs) That was all it was. So the, uh, the donuts in the mash, do you have any issues with like the sort of like fats coming out of the donuts as well? Because I mean, that would have been something that I would have thought might have been a bit of an issue. Yeah. So, so that was actually, so, um, that was a major issue so what we had to do is as we were transferring the beer we just Mm -hmm. could see where we're starting to get down near the bottom of our transfer port and cut it while we had that layer of oils and fat on on the the surface yeah yeah but they some of them did make their way through um so once again as we were racking the beer off we kind of managed to get most of it out and because we treat our beers down at Bright Tank with Tetra Hop. Um, we dosed a bit higher than normal to for a bit of foam stability. Um, mm-hmm. So it seems to have worked. Um, I haven't actually had this beer in quite a while now. It's, we packaged it in January, February, April, late April. So I had it in the fridge and for some time on the show, I'll crack it, but we got onto that a little bit earlier than what I was planning, and I already have. I, an, I mean, another beer. My in glass hand. is empty. My glass is empty. We could go commercial right now. I've got a really good beer to try for commercial. Some, not, not one of our. Well, let's have another pint then. Let's have another pint. That's fine. Yeah, I'm happy to do that. I I decided to make my commercial another brewery and try someone else's that I haven't haven't tried but paid good money for. So I hope it's a good beer. 
I just got a couple of uh, couple of our core range to make my way through. So you mentioned before that you still you still do a bit of home brewing at home as well. Yeah, so um, pretty much the styles that I want to drink that we can't make at yeah. work. I, I like to make it at home. So if we do if we have a quiet week and I'm not I'm not doing three or four brews in a week, I will um, I'll whip one out in a weekend because I no chill. So I like to do it on a Saturday, usually on a Saturday evening. Um, yeah. Sorry, I've got the burps. Like, it's all right. Coming from let it rip. <laughs> uh, yeah, so so pretty much, I just sit up on my back deck out there and um, and brew away and have brew father going on the laptop and watch TV yeah. and enjoy. I think it must be a good sign uh, that you're still enjoying. You know, obviously having moved into it professionally, you're still enjoying it enough to want to spend time at home doing that as well. So yeah, uh, yeah. So I still so I've made a couple of um, a couple of beers that have gone on to become become commercial. Um, mm-hmm. So we so we developed a sour last year with a distillery just down the road, and uh, it was a lemon drop um, sour. It's called lemon drop, not as in the hop, um, as in the the lolly that was around. I've never had one. Um, it's like so a we Kalupo. Yeah, so we were targeting that sort of uh, taste. So we ended up using a botanical, a native botanical um, lemon myrtle, which is an Australian one, and it it chucked those sort of flavours along with some lactose and a and a kettle sour base. So um, so I brewed that. Um, Rob, the other. Guy saying it's the pilot. He brewed one that was more a neeper and used those those hops, but uh, we ended up going with my one. So take that, Rob. Um, <laughs> 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 uh, <laughs> so oh, but it started out nice for Rob, didn't it? Now it's uh, degenerating. Well, no, I know. Now his, <laughs> his, body shots to the ribs. This that's what this is. <laughs> he he's been gone for for nearly a year and I'm brewing one of his beers uh, next week. So it's one of our core range beers is uh, his wham, bam, jam, sour. Does it have actual jam in it? Well, we use uh, raspberries and blackberries. So, um, uh, it's it's just the, it's a kettle sour, but to play on words, kind of, kind of changed it slightly in the, the, I don't like the fact of tying the kettle up and having to brew on a Friday. Um, so what we'd do is come in on a Friday, do do a normal mash, heat up to take it over to the kettle, heat it up, obviously, then get a whirlpool going and cool it down. But this is the other thing compared to home brewing. Cooling down a commercial batch takes a fucking long time if you're mm-hmm. going back into the kettle. But there's a lot of heat and a lot of volume, and uh, the temperature gauge starts dropping re- rapidly. And you're like, "Oh, sweet!" And then you test it with a probe somewhere else, and she's 90 degrees still at another point. So it takes thermal mass, isn't it? Yeah, it take it takes it would take us, you know, three to four hours on a Friday, chilling, whirlpooling. So you're cleaning everything else, and then. Uh, 
before you could pitch your lacto, seal the mash tun up for the weekend, then come back on the Monday, boil, do the boil, then have to clean the kit afterwards. And um, I was like, you know, can we can we try transferring the beer down to a fermenter that we dedicate on, so say we do, do the beer on Monday, we transfer it down, down there, it's at 40, 35, 40 degrees, pitch the lacto, go home, come back the next morning, can put a mash on in the mash tun, start brewing another beer because, you know, the, the kit's free. Do some pH readings. Okay, it's tracking down the pH that I want or targeting close to it and chill chill down and then just chuck my yeast in and just go with a co-ferment and then just chuck some um, some hops in there to inhibit the, the bacteria. And and then, you know, with like you said before, the acids that we're using, that sort of lacto, you kill it super easy. Yeah. You know. Exactly. Like there's a lot of people afraid of, of wild yeasts and that, and um, I, I'm one of these people that's not afraid of it. I feel if you um, have a good cleaning and sanitation process, nothing's going to survive. Like how I look at it as is, could I live inside that tank for as long as, you know, <laughs> the process that I'm putting it through? And um, so we, so, so when we put uh, my my golden sour, which is a wild fermented sour, into our bright tank, we we washed like probably 800 litres of 100-degree water through the, through the spray ball, rinsing it, then sealed it with full volume and left it overnight and left, so it sat for 24 hours at 100 degrees. Then we pulled everything apart, soaked everything in parasitic acid, put it back together, did the highest dosage rate of paracetic acid, you know, um, then uh, went through the whole caustic process as well. And, you know, we've had no issues. So, it, it, no, you're not going to. Everybody talks about these being super hardy. They are up to a certain point. It's yeah. like anything, you know, you, you give anything enough temperature, you're going to kill it. You give anything enough, you know, chemical, it's going to die. It's, it's, it's simply a matter of making sure that what you're doing is right and appropriate for the job. You yeah. Know, life is delicate. It really is. And one of those other things, like going back to what you were saying before, is um, a lot of homebrewers don't like to get their hands in and really scrub the kit. So it's it's a yeah. quick way of chucking some PBW in there or some whatever, you, you know, nappy sand from from down the local Aldi. And, uh yeah. You know, and they're relying on that as cleaning and then saying, oh, but I got a Brett infection after I had Brett in there. It's like, yeah, but you're not really cleaning. Like at the level we're cleaning at, we're really, really cleaning. And the shit's dangerous that we're working with. If, if a yeast can survive, then... Fair play to it. <laughs> what was that noise? It was like a That's bing- the magpie's back. No, no, it was like a bing bing on my... Oh, no, someone messaged me on Facebook. Don't worry. All right, worked out what it was. I was going to say because the magpies are back on the roof, so I was worried it was. So the we're going to hit these uh, commercial beers up. Oh. oh yeah, let's do the commercials. Yeah, let's go, let's go. Who's going first? Oh, Chris? I I think it'd be rude if uh, you didn't because I haven't pulled mine out of the fridge yet. Oh, okay, I'll jump. I'll jump in then. Um, I'm doing my entirely predictable 
<laughs> oh, what a Effort surprise. Tricky's got a beer from a track. track beer. The slightly out of the ordinary part of this review is that it's actually a porter. So I don't think, I may be wrong, I don't think I've actually had a sort of straight up porter or stout from track before. I've had a couple of um, imperial stouts from them that have been very good, uh, but not a you know standard strength kind of porter or stout like this one. So this is made in the shade porter by track brewing. It's 5.6%. Um, they don't really put any kind of description on the cans anymore, but from what I remember, it's described as a sort of robust porter. Um, and that's about it, really. So the you know typical kind of roasty, chocolatey, cocoa kind of uh, notes in the description that you would expect. And aroma-wise, it does just smell very toasty, very biscuity. Um, definitely quite a bit of kind of coffee for me on there. Maybe a little bit of chocolate, but it's... Um, it definitely smells more like a traditional kind of English porter as opposed to maybe some of the more modern like iterations of those kind of recipes. But give it a little taste. So, yeah, it tastes um, definitely like a more of a, a, a traditional sort of take on the recipe style. There's um, quite a dry roasty note in there. It's actually a little bit maybe a touch less sweet than I was expecting with it being a porter. So it's maybe edging for me a little bit more towards kind of like stout um, kind of flavor profile in time, in terms of the, the roast uh, character on there, but it's very nice. It's quite a complex kind of malt flavor in there. I'm not, couldn't say what, what's going on hopping wise. Uh, that's not a big, big part of the beer on there, but there is a fairly, um, fairly sort of assertive bitterness to it as well so i think the it being described as a robust porter is probably coming from that having a fairly strong roasty quite bitter flavor to it whereas some others uh porters might be a little bit more on the sweeter side of things so um yeah probably more kind of traditional and kind of bold in terms of those flavors than maybe i was expecting for a beer from track but it's actually a really nice uh, beer and a, a good example of a, a more traditional kind of porter for me so uh yeah decent and a bit different from uh the usual kind of hazy hot bombs that, that they're knocking out so uh, i'd definitely have that one again so yeah made in the shade by track cheers always a nice one to hear of a brewery famous for a different style going down the route of another one definitely it's what you want come on ivan what you got man so I picked up a beer called Ducks and Cake Berry Milkshake Dipper. Whoa. <laughs> we I don't need Owen. There's a lot going on there. <laughs> I, I, was, I thought about him actually when I was getting that thinking he'd like the sound of that. Um, it's a collab with Duck Pond Brewing in Sweden and Beer Mash. I don't know where they are. But this is from Banks Brewing who are in Victoria in Australia. Uh, it's eight and a half percent. It says it's a berry milkshake dipper hopped with mosaic and cryopop, then conditioned on vanilla, contains lactose. So they love using like cryopop as like marketing tools. Ah, cryopop. We just had uh, 
Robbie from Yakima Chief talking about that on the last pod that's not actually up on the <laughs> yeah, podcast see. channel yet, but it will be there soon. Cool. So I don't really pick up... I can pick up the uh, blueberry going on, but the, the mosaic's really, really hidden. It's it's odd. <laughs> so you can tell it's a big, big beer, but it's also really heavy in the mouthfeel, and it's real fruity at the same time as being bitter. So there's like this big bitterness coming through, as well as like that blueberry sort of sweetness and the lactose coming through. The vanilla is really hidden. But to be fair, like, when did they package it? The fifth. So, you know, it's it's got a few months on it now. What are we, six? No, no, it's recent. About a month. It's a month. No, so she's new. I'm sorry, I'm way behind in time. Uh, well, you are in the future. I am in the future. <laughs> These guys are even more in the future. They're two hours in wow. front of me. But yeah, How many time zones are there in Australia? Oh, I think there's three. So you've got Perth, Northern Territory, which is like... So so everywhere's... No, there's four, because Perth doesn't have daylight savings. Um, so we don't, we don't do daylight savings. Um, so we just have the same time all year round. Then you've got Queensland's... You've got Queensland or New South Wales. One of the two doesn't do um, daylight savings, but one does. And then uh, so so they're on the same. So they're on different times, you know. Um, That's crazy. So there's a, there's actually I was listening to a radio station. There was a town on the border where a guy had a job, and he ended up living in. Say he lived in Queensland and they didn't do it. New South Wales did. So he had to go to work an hour earlier <laughs> because of Crazy. because of the, to get to work on time because the job because the border for him was like fifteen kilometer drive. So he'd drive over the border <laughs> to work. But one day he ended up yeah, this so certain point of the year where he has to go to work an hour earlier than normal. <laughs> but um yes and then you've got northern territory which is like saying stupid like an hour and a half time difference it's stuff like that that makes you realize the true scale of australia as a country when it's like west to east there's four time zones is it like a a 12 hour flight from coast to coast or something stupid uh four and a bit i think that's ridiculous four hours in an aeroplane you can't even get from here to... Well, I mean, you can. You can get from here to Portugal in less than four hours. So well, Four hours is about how long it takes to get to, like, the Canary Islands. So here. we did a drive That's from sort of London to Scotland. Well, <laughs> Scotland back to London in 12 hours or something like that. Um, and that was, like, you know, up in the highlands of Scotland, back down in one day. And then... Uh, We've travelled to go on holiday here, twelve hours, and it's only part way up the state. 
<laughs> there's still a shitload more to go. <laughs> Fuck you, know. And I've not even been that far up. You didn't even get out of the state and you'd already driven for 12 hours. My so, God. so my brother's a minor and he'll fly, he'll fly to work and, um, yeah, just going in, in, like in the state itself. Here's like sometimes like an hour and a half flight, two-hour flight. Jesus Christ. Yeah, it's not it's not that big Australia, is it? It's not that big at all. Yeah. And all there is is fucking things that'll kill you and dingoes. To be fair, there's a uh, snakes and I've seen uh two in the wild since I've lived here. And one of them was only a month ago in our pack shed. A month or two back Jesus in God. our pack shed. It was about this big, but I took off. I was gone. <laughs> You're not a fan then? <laughs> no. <laughs> the Adrian called me. He's like, Ivan, come here. And I was coming over and he goes, he goes, move slowly and pointed down. And I looked and I was like, I'm out, mate. <laughs> yeah, fuck that. You <laughs> anyway, the shit out of that one. Getting back to this beer. Yeah, it's a, it, it, it's good. Good beer? Yeah. Good beer. Excellent. Different. I wasn't sure where you were going with that one at first because it, it, it sounded like it might be uh, on a I, knife edge for a minute, whether you're going to enjoy it. I really suck at describing beers. I know how to make them. I don't know how to taste them. Like our sales rep says to me, what What are some marketing points that we can get on selling this beer? Like, give me some tastings. I'm like, drink it yourself, <laughs> mate, and pick them up. <laughs> I can make it's good it. Beer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I am... I am currently trying to get through to the end of my duration box, the second one. Um, and this time round, I actually got some of their table pale, which I do believe one of them had on the um, on the podcast with us. Yeah, I think Miranda was drinking that, wasn't she? Yeah, you end up where you were. It's a table pale. Uh, tasting notes, crisp, citrus, and light, and they ain't kidding. This thing is an absolute lemon grapefruit bomb. It's like, it, it was as soon as I cracked it open, it was about there, away from my nose, about a foot, and all I was like, God, how much citra have they put in that? It's just citra. It was interesting listening to them, that they, they're not very big in the... Um... The hopping. Well, there's a lot of hops in this. Yeah. There is a lot of hops in this. This is, I don't know whether it's been hop bursted, whether it's been for a rocket. I don't know what they've done to this, but there's a lot of hops in this. This is grapefruit and lemon. Literally no. That's the microphone falling off the stand. Yeah, this is this is why it was fifth, the equivalent of uh, fifteen pounds. <laughs> All right, here we go. We're back in. Are we Just, back in? Yeah, can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, we're all good. Yeah, it's still, yeah, it's still yeah, working. Yeah. Don't worry, it's alive. Sorry, there's about not my much profanity. That's all right. Don't worry about it. Have you ever heard an episode of this podcast? Um. The one thing that really disappoints me about this beer, and I understand why it's this way, is because it's a table beer, but there's very little in the way of malt that I'm picking up. I'm getting quite a lot of the, like, the citrus. 
And you know that softness on your palate that you get from a beer that's quite heavy in wheat? I'm getting that. But as far as actual malt, I'm not really getting that much, uh, which is, I won't say it's disappointing because it fits the style perfectly, but I was hoping for a little bit of that malt because I do like a little bit of that malt character with my table beers. 3%, can't go wrong. It's If you like Citra, you'll like that beer. Simple as that, really. Um, it's it's very, very, very drinkable, which is good because I've got four cans of it. So, yeah, tick the box. Job done. Tricky, wake up. Sorry, I was getting distracted. What? Uh, where yeah, are you at? guys are only, what, three o'clock? <laughs> yeah. It's ten o'clock here. Yeah. I'm wide awake. Some, yeah, some of us have been drinking since, you know, 11. No, I was just I was just checking if there was any comments on the Facebook feed, but nothing nothing worth reporting back on. No, anyway, so we we all had the commercials then. We? we have, we've all done them. Um, one of the things that I want to sort of talk to Ivan about is um, the craft beer scene, specifically in Australia. Is it as well evolved as the craft beer scene that we have over here? in that kind of every town has its own brewery is it is it that kind of is it as is it as well populated as it is over here because um, i mean i i i've not been to australia are, are we at that point where we do have a craft brewery in every town well, so you when i was me, over you much. guys had a lot what i noticed was you guys had a lot more info you wouldn't call it a craft brewery but you had a lot more breweries per se, you know, like... I mean, microbreweries and, and stuff, yeah. There's yeah. always been that tradition, hasn't there, I think, for sure. So, you know, a lot of... There's a lot of ones over here, I suppose, would fall into that category, but are just classed as craft breweries. Um, in Perth, Perth's pretty saturated now. Um, it's almost to the point where there's... You're bordering that there's starting to get too many um, around, and which is which is good. I mean, I mean, it makes you have to work harder to keep your product in a bottle shop, you know, if there's more competition. But also at the same point, going to a bottle shop now, you kind of just like, where do you begin? And that's only counting the Perth ones, not including the eastern states that are here. So. Um, I think so. Perth's kind of got like the Perth area. You've got the Swan Valley, which was a big brewing area to start with, but then it's moved from there and gone back more central um, because they built a couple rounds when they built the new state of the art stadium and stuff like that. A, a few breweries and trying to claw more people into that that CBD sort of area. Um, then you've got a region which is three hours away called the Southwest, um, and that's very uh, surfy, hippy sort of area. And there's a lot of wineries and breweries down there. But once again, uh, you know, th- there's a couple of big ones, and there's a few just floating around. But th- what I've found is that there's actually a few off the area that I didn't even know existed because you don't hear of them. So so I guess there are more around. Um, 
I found there's one that does like hand pump beers, um, which is wow. pretty cool. So I want to go down and have some of theirs because apparently they won some gold medals for them. Um, but yeah, there's there's so I'd say I'd say yes, we've got a decent a decent craft beer scene, but at the same time. I wouldn't say it's as big as what you guys have got. Like how I kind of base our brewing at work now is listening to like you guys and I I follow um, the craft beer channel and stuff and a couple of the ones in the US like the, um, what's those, Genus and what's the other one? Um, Clawhammer. Mm-hmm. And... Okay. Because you guys are in summer now, I'll, you in America, I kind of look at what, what you're doing and go back and say, hey, these are the trending styles at the moment. Let's start looking for January at bringing these beers out because I bet you yeah, this is what's going to happen. And I called it last year and no one listened to me. I called that lagers were going to be the big thing this year. No one, everyone was like, oh, guess what? We've got bloody free lagers that we produce now. <laughs> if you want to sell beer, sell a lager. Simple so, as that. So, but but I think what it is is a lot of people are burnt out on um, on hoppy beers. Hazy you know? IPAs. Uh, yeah, it, just yeah. everyone's made. <laughs> Didn't we call this twelve months ago? Exactly, exactly. Like I, and that's the thing I brought up and said, and. Um, I, I've always followed what what you guys are doing and what you guys call and and Johnny's really good at that because he does that at the start of the year. What's trending in twenty twenty two, you know? And he's he's pretty he's pretty onto it. That bloke. I mean, and, yeah, he's a very intelligent man. And then at the moment, I've got a thing for Brad uh, about just what he's wearing, but. <laughs> 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 fashion always, styles mate that guy he is just rocking like the vibrant colours at the moment and I'm a big fan <laughs> vibrant colours are always good so I was doing the whole uh, backpacking thing in Australia in about 2003 ish I think and at that point it was you know obviously didn't see much at all in the way of craft beer not that i would probably have known to have looked for it at that point anyway yeah. but you know it was like um i mean the places i went it was probably vb twoies um the beers that i really enjoyed when i was there that i did remember from that trip were the cooper's ales at the time which were, were sort of i guess the the premium option would that be the, the right way to to describe that brand at that that sort of point yeah in time, I, I would say like obviously i didn't live here then yeah um but i would say yeah like those those guys are probably back then were the most far to one side you know than anyone else i guess their style kind of follows more like traditional brewing yeah like what what the settlers came here and they had like bottle conditioned ales and stuff and they still do yeah yeah yeah, they still and they still bottle condition. So, and their beers, and and I mean, they've got the only recognised beer style in Australia, which is the sparkling ale. So, 
they created that style. You know, it's the only style that's actually recognized as a, a historic beer from here. Mm-hmm. Um, I think those guys, yeah, they would have been probably the big ones back then. And how, yeah. how, when you say that, um, what I know is 2000, so I said 2006 was when my work started out and a couple of others started about the same time, which are the main, like, or you'd say the OGs of the WA yeah, yeah. scene. So I think there was a couple before. Little Creatures was probably around then. Um, so and- I guess timescale-wise, it's not that far off like the UK in terms of when those kind of breweries start to pop up a bit more prevalently. And yeah, uh, the, what we think of craft beer now was was becoming more of a, a recognised it, it it would thing. appear to be a global phenomenon at that point, wouldn't it? Because yeah. it did tend to kind of spread everywhere very, very quickly. You know, you had roosters over here and then you had people like, um, well, well know, any of the big American one ones. One of the, the but, bigger yeah, yeah. ones here that sort of started it becoming yeah. more recognisable as, as a brand that you would then see uh, in more shops and everything like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so... So when I was living in New Zealand, I heard about a couple of breweries starting up and was wondering like what they were. And I actually remember there was one called Black Dog and they were um, they were in Wellington at the time. And we used to go night clubbing in Wellington and they had a brewery which wasn't very big behind the bar. And you had to walk through that to get out to the back to a nightclub called Temperance. And... Um, we got there a little bit early and this bar was open. And if if you've been to New Zealand, there's a, one of the most common beers there is called Tui. And it's labelled as a East India IPA. East, East India Pale Ale is what they call it because that's probably where it started its origins from. But now it's a macro lager that's got a little bit of amber colour to it. Um <laughs> so we went in and we're like looking, scouring the bar. Sounds like Green King IPA over here or something. Yeah. <laughs> so that's like the real ale equivalent of just that, exactly. piss, I tried piss water that when with I was IPA there. stamps on it, yeah. So scouring the bar. Overwhelmed. <laughs> I didn't mind it, actually. Your your guys' beers are actually very decent at like the lower end range. Like one of my favorite beers was Doomba. <sighs> I was a big fan of Doombar <laughs> while I was there. I remember walking when around. Was it, when was this that you were you were drinking that? Because I mean, the, to be fair, time time wise, things may have changed a little bit. A About little, four years. Just a little, four years. Oh, okay. Mm. I so mean, I don't get me wrong. Doombar's anyway. a lovely pint. It is a lovely pint if you get it in a pub. It's just the shite they put. If it's, in if it's on cask like. and it's not travelled too far or whatever, then it can it can be a decent beer. But yeah. Yeah, so we arrived, the day we arrived, um, I went to a pub and it was like a little pub and I'm pretty sure the town we're staying in, because the name's popping to my head, was Milton Keynes. Well, that's around the area. Leighton Buzzard. Leighton Buzzard was the town. Oh, you were just up the road from me. That's, that's literally... Uh... <laughs> so we <laughs> so were... A... 10 minutes drive from where so, I am right now. So my wife's family are from the UK. And uh, she's she's Australian, but um, we went over there and went to Scotland for her nan's 90th. And um, 
so so while we're while we're there, I go to this pub on my first day, and I walk in, and there's like these tradies who are like painters and plasterers who have just knocked off work, and I walk in. I'm wearing a pair of like chino pants. I had I'm pretty sure I had a pair of white sneakers on, like high sneakers, and I had a um, flannel shirt, so I looked completely out of place. I went to the bar, and I was like, <laughs> I was like, can I get a pint of something? And the lady's like, yeah, what do you want? And I was like, I don't know. I'm like, it's my first day here. What do you recommend? What's good? And she's like, we got ale or we got ale? And I was like, I guess I have an ale. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, it was a local up, pub for local people. Yeah, so I ended it? up having, I, I think, I think how it went was another guy ordered a beer and I ordered what he was having. So, um, so that, yeah, Doombar. So it was Doombar or London Pride. Should have gone with a Pride, mate. <laughs> Should have gone with a Pride. <laughs> this story would have been totally different. Doombar's a good beer. <laughs> it's not bad. If it's kept well, it's not a bad beer. It's just most places don't keep it very well. And so, I guess and it's, it, it was a novelty for me. We don't have either. we don't have hand pulled beer. Why don't you have beer engines over there? That's one thing I was meaning to ask you. Why is it that Angram have not completely invaded Australia? No idea. We, I, I went up into our storage room and we got a couple of brand new ones just sitting there in boxes. So well, one of them needs to come home with you. <laughs> I'd love that, but uh, yeah, it wouldn't be the case. You got someone I mean, behind you. You got a visitor, Chris. <laughs> what do you want, chicken? I want a hug. Come on then. Live on the podcast, my daughter wants a hug. Dad, Come here, chicken. Look, I got some cookies. Oh, amazing! <laughs> right. Hi, that's Abby. A, that's Ivan. Say hi to Ivan. Hi. Hello. That's tricky. And that's obviously us now. Say hello to the internet. Yeah, because there's all these people. Who are all watching us talk about beer. Yeah. Right. Can you do me a favour? Can you go back into the house? Please. Yeah. yeah. Can I have a kiss <laughs> before you go? Thanks, chicken. Oh. Go on, you little chicken. Off your trap. Go on. It's all right. That's just a beer from Andy. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that, guys. Yeah, I think... So, yeah, so I don't know why... I guess because Australia is probably a lager country, you know, its its main beers are all lagers. So I guess that, and the climate doesn't really suit a 12-degree beer. I mean, I, I could totally understand that, but, I mean, you clearly have a passion for British and English beers, yeah. So I don't understand. I mean, I know a few people in Australia who have bought them over here mm. and had them shipped over there. Yeah. Just because they wanted that traditional hand pull style. And I get that. But what I don't understand is why, when all of this is going off, there isn't a company that is literally shipping them out there. I'm surprised Kipwind hasn't jumped on to it. You know, like. I am very surprised at that as well. Because they jump onto everything. I mean, they're making barbecue accessories and smoker accessories. So I know. I'm surprised that they haven't made a um, because of the because of it. I'm surprised they just haven't made 
a hand pull, even if it works like a normal a normal tap system, but just yeah. to mimic, you know? Well, the Pi 365 works that way pretty much. Yeah. So as far as I'm aware, I mean, I, I had a genuine beer engine for about three weeks before I got bored with it and got rid. But um, the Pi 365 works through a corny keg, so it connects up to a corny keg and you just pump it off like that and it comes through with that, you know, that traditional almost creamy style. Yeah, so I don't yeah. understand. Like you say, I'm, I'm a big follower of Kegland. A lot of their stuff is very good. I've got Firmzilla all-rounders. You know, I've got their um, corny disconnects. I've got the whole job lot. I, I like their stuff, especially because it's as cheap as chips. Yeah. But I do think that there is a lot that they could take from what we do over here, which people in Australia, New Zealand, other parts of the world want, I wouldn't be surprised if somebody from Kegland doesn't watch this podcast and decide next week that they're going to come up with a handpull engine. Well, I did a search, and apparently they, 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 what their plans are is that they're going to make a, um, a bladder. So basically it goes, by the sounds of it, is that it's going to have a corny cap on top of it, like a, like a corny keg lid. It must be plastic that you can it's like fill. like a beer in a bag kind of thing. Beer in a bag, and then you pressurize the keg outside of it, and you push the beer out of the bag. But that's not the same. They were trying to no. say that that was the same. I'm surprised that they haven't built one because I know that they ship to the US and uh, the UK. And that beer engines are a big thing. I'm surprised they haven't jumped on that because they seem to be jumping onto every trend. Interested. It, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they don't. You know what I mean? Even because a miniature it, it one. Is... Like a minute like a mini a mini one. It doesn't have to be the full size pub one. Um, if you had a mini a mini beer engine that you, they could make an a cheap aspirator valve like a demand valve system. and so, uh, so instead of a half pint pull, just go with like a quarter pint or, quarter a, pint. or an eighth pint, something yeah, like, like that. I built one out of a rocker pump for a RV. Exactly. And, you know. that it, They're not difficult to build. They're not difficult to build, so I'm surprised they haven't done it and made it flash and fancy. And then and then they can make the fancy, you know, inter- interchangeable inter-tap nozzle that can go on to the taps, or you can put it directly onto the the beer engine, you know, and then the bags, the beer in a bag. They they did the hot wart bags. I'm surprised they didn't do that. They haven't jumped onto that and then done the the you know the cask bags and the little boxes and people make their own cask ales and go away for a weekend and you can take ten liters of cask with you. So if you're listening, Kegland, all we're saying is you need to be listening to the podcast, listening to what your target market in Australia is wanting, and you need to be producing this product. I think uh, I think Shilly McShillington, who's sitting in the middle, should maybe contact Kegland and pose this as an idea and offer to <laughs> take one in for test. I think you're uh, overstating my potential influence there. <laughs> I do believe that, you know, if you simply point out that you are obviously a founder OG of the Hop Edition, 
Oh, well, may, yeah, if I say that, they'll it may, away and be like, yeah, these, these guys know what they're talking about. It, it may get them to take slightly more notice of you. They probably won't go my way. All my products are Kid King, the opposition. <laughs> oh, dear. I got I got well, Kigland taps. I don't even know what kind of taps I've got, to be fair. I got the, nu- yeah. the Nuka taps. Nuka taps. Yeah. yeah. The black ones. No, not the black ones. This is the normal, yeah, the so normal crunk. So I've, I've got a question for you, Ivan. You've probably heard us talking about Galaxy Hops on this. Yes. Oh, here we go. So, have you guys over in Australia sort of seen the same sort of issues that we've talked about a lot, or is there a different? You know, like, do you have a different access to um, particular growers or whatever, or, or are you no. essentially seeing the same thing as what what happens with? No, the hops so we over don't. Here? So we don't actually have a hot contract. Uh, we're mm-hmm. not big. We're not big enough to to be at that stage just yet. So. So basically, yeah. um, we deal with HPA who do Galaxy, um, and they sold us a shit ton of it last year, um, and we use it. We use it a lot in all of our beers. Um, more, more so, we use it as for the oil content as a lifter inside of all of our dry hops. So we will add, say we're adding four kilos or something, we'll add a kilo of Galaxy as well. So we just use it for its oil content and lifting. But then I I have queried whether um, why we got sold so much was because after listening to all of you guys and a few other podcasts that, people in the other side of the world don't want galaxy at the moment <laughs> and maybe we got slung off galaxy because it was um not selling uh, yeah i mean it's definitely selling down here uh it's still it's still popular and like we like i say we use it in probably 90 percent of our beers in some in some way in the final dry hop I guess so. You do become... tend to avoid putting it in in the boil at any point, from the sounds of it, or um, I have put it in in the boil. Yeah, more in the whirlpool, but um, yeah, we more use it for for that. We brought it as a dry hop addition, yeah, and it become kind of like how some breweries have a house yeast. It's mm-hmm. sort and of your house hop. It's sort of our it's sort of our unique house hop, and if you go back through our recipes, Galaxy's actually always been in there in some some way at some point. So it's kind of just leaning back to what that had, and it it does give it that Australian vibe, I suppose, to the beer too. Do you find it gives you that, um, especially when you put it in late on? Do you find it gives you that limey flavour? That kind of that almost citrus on the back end with the the more tropical on the front end. No, but really? I've only done one beer that it's gone in the boil for, and that beer. Then we tweak the recipe for that, and it doesn't go in it. It we don't use it hot side anymore. It's all cold side, right? So. 
and the and the amount we're using is so minute if you worked out grams per liter yeah it it wouldn't be much at all like i mean we're chucking a kilo into a 1200 liter batch whereas one gram per liter less than one gram per liter yeah whereas we're chucking four kilos of this four kilos of that you know like this this beer here uh which is our west coast ipa that's got nine liters of uh, nine kilos of hops in it. One kilo of that's Galaxy. The rest oh, is built up yeah. with three other so, hops. So, Citra. like we've talked about previously, you're essentially using it as a scaffolding hop to kind of prop everything up. Yeah, yeah. So Definitely. it's a base layer, and you're building flavors off that. Yeah, that makes sense. And just out of pure curiosity, and I don't want you to give away any sort of business secrets or anything, but how much does Galaxy go for a kilo in Australia? Um, my guess, I don't deal with any of that side of the the brewery. Um, but my guess is it it probably is. Is around four or five dollars a kilo for <laughs> for like train. <laughs> We're paying fucking well. We paid forty two quid a kilo. But if well, I, I mean, was homebrew, yeah. If level, I buy at homebrew, yeah. homebrew level, I'm paying ten dollars per hundred grams. How many okay. dollars to the pound? So basically. If I remember right, when I was there, it's about it's about half. So, so we're about double. Right. Well, I mean that's still it's, pretty cheap. It's, it's cheaper, but it's more comparable, isn't it? But yeah, the trade price sounds like ludicrous. that's ludicrous. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, but, but that, I mean, that 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 might not be that might not be correct. That that was just a, <laughs> a total guess because I I don't order or do any accounting or anything oh, far like enough. that. I mean, that is I thing I would say is go the, grab uh, the it current, out the cool room and chuck it in. The current batch that's available over here, so that would have been the 21. 2021 um, harvest, um, certainly seems to be a bit more going back towards the very you know fruit salad, tropical, soft kind of. That would be the one that, we would most likely have coming back with. Yeah, so I, I, yeah, I would assume obviously that would be what you would be brewing with currently, but. There was definitely a big, for us anyway, in terms of the hops we were getting, there was a big change between the last few years' harvest and what what came out um, last year, uh, as far as the, the galaxy anyway. Um, so what what the other, in terms of like Aussie hops that you guys use a lot, or, or what's your particular favourite for brewing with in the brewery as far as the, uh, yeah, the Australian hop varieties? Um or New Zealand hop varieties as well, so we'll um, put so, those, put them together. So we've actually started to get uh, Eclipse now, which we're chucking into our, which we're chucking into our Nipa. Well, yep. we've got two Nipas, so we have we have one which is a mid strength Nipa, which is three and a half percent, and one that's a six percent. Um, and the six percent we're chucking in. Eclipse, which is, I think that's a fairly new Australian one, which chucks a lot of like orange and mandarin. 
mm-hmm. sort of character. Yeah, I was going to say, I think somebody, uh, our homebrew club has become a bit obsessed with Eclipse Ops and he's done a couple of smash beers with him and it was uh, pure like sort of tangerine um, kind of yeah, mandarin so flavours. Really nice though. We We actually don't, in the scheme of things, a lot of our hops aren't Australian that we use. Mm-hmm. So, so because like you know the brewery's been around for so many years and the core range beers, those sort of hops didn't exist. So, um, yeah, of course. So most of our core beers contain American style. So um, we've got a lot of, I'd say. Amarillo is probably the biggest one we use. Okay, yeah. Amarillo, um, Centennials used a bit. Simcoe was used quite quite a lot in the dry hop stage in our beers, but um, Simcoe become hard to get, so we've actually changed Simcoe out to Strata, which is a bit more a bit more easy to get access to. Um, But, but yeah, for me personally, my favorite is probably SARS and our lager. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So forget, forget American, forget Australian and New Zealand hops. Just go for the traditional. I'm not a a big fan of the big, the big, I'm not a big fan of Nefers. So, um, that's fair enough. I just think there's there's only so many ways you can skin a cat and that's yeah. been done, you know? And yeah, yeah. the market's just flooded with them and everyone you try you like. Yeah, it just uh, tastes we, like we, we've we've talked about it loads on, on this pod as you've you've probably heard on a couple of episodes where it's uh you get a bit sick of going into the the bottle shops and things like that and it's like, okay, so which, you know, got a hundred different cans here and 95 of them are a, a you know a hazy neeper or a hazy pale ale or, yeah and it's some it's, form of citra and yeah uh, mosaic plus a combination of a, another 10 possible hops and you know that's all that's all good and and there's some great tasting beers and everything but i tend to go into my um my local bottle shop nowadays and just sort of go have you got any good like West Coast IPAs? Because I just want something a bit more old school, um, and- old school and drinkable. And or like, have you got any you know like hoppy lagers or things like that? So it's just something that's going to be a bit different. Um, so it'd be interesting. I haven't tried this one in a while. So this is our West Coast that was packaged in the can dates okay. from December, yeah, yeah. and we were trialing that dip hopping. Um, yeah, which was a bit of a fad, which was basically like the equivalent of a homebrew whirlpool. You tran- so we were transferring 100 liters off at 75 degrees to fermenter, hopping yeah. it there, so it wasn't getting 100 degrees and containing difference. So we went through that, and this is our West Coast IPA. And yeah, just tasting it compared to where we we went back to our old the traditional way and we've got Mm -hmm. like 70 ibus back in it that there's like fruit salad it's too neepery yeah and can um people like it but 
that's the problem I've found as well is West Coast IPAs are now being brewed to mimic East Coast IPAs. Yeah. Yeah, I, I know exactly what you mean. It feels like they're still going for the the juicy, like, like you say, fruit low, salad juice sort of yeah. flavor profile, rather than that kind of resiny, like piney kind of thing. That I think is what, for me anyway, kind of defines that kind of so style f- a little bit. So more, for me, so. this like this beer of ours in in can stock, the market probably enjoys, but I don't because mm-hmm. it doesn't have that bitter bite behind it. So yeah. I'd actually prefer to go back to what we've got on keg now and which when we get rid of this can stock, we'll go back into back to the normal, the normal way. But that's once again, that's one of those things, you know, we're just, the trend came out and we jumped on board and we tried it and we tried to make it work for these styles to get a bit more hop character. And I guess it worked to the, to some extent, but that bears 6.7%. So once the dry hop starts to fade down, it it's too unbalanced. There's too much booze mm-hmm. and too much fruit salad. Whereas yep. before, with like that 70, 60, 70 IBU kind of range, you have that big bitter punch that just punches that alcohol out the way. And you can have that little bit of hop character going on at the same time. And personally for myself, that's what I like. So... I've been working our recipes subtly back to that <laughs> over the last few brews. So, cool. so bending things appropriately. Yeah. So, so you missed part of it. I was saying we were doing that dip hopping, which is like a whirlpool, except we weren't doing it in the kettle, in the fermenter at 75 degrees to get the different flavor compounds out the hops rather than the bitterness. Right. But, so what I did was I added the hops back to our normal whirlpool. Then I added them to a 10-minute edition. Then I've added them back to a 20 and now back to a 30. So each batch subtly gets back more and more to where it needs to be. So that Creeping the, those IBUs back up. <laughs> yeah, so that people – so if they tap a keg from one batch to the next, people don't notice like, oh, what is that? Like, it's too bitter, you know? Yeah. So that's sort of that that's one of the other things too, I suppose, with commercial brewing. You're always trying to compete, but you're also you've also got to be drinkable at the same time and your beers have to be consistent. You do. I mean, and this is this is one of the things that I learned um specifically working in the brewery is consistency is king yeah because if it isn't then if you're producing a different beer every week and calling it the same name people are gonna hate you for it and you have to have that consistency you just absolutely have to yeah sounds like tricky's got a visitor trying to bang their way through his doorway yeah there's a uh small child trying to smash their way into my office at the minute. would that would that be elsie that would yeah oh let her in i think she's just been dragged off (laughs) <laughs> yeah, she's, she's gone now it's too late sorry and ivan ivan's got like there's just silence from ivan's end there's no kids there's no problem yeah. it's just this like, is why you, you podcast in the evenings <laughs> yeah, yeah that, they're all asleep yeah banging mate it's exactly so what follow, following on from that it, obviously it sounds like um 
I've got a, got a bit of an idea of the sort of beers that you probably like to brew at home. But yeah, what what do you do when you're home brewing, which is the kind of stuff that you like to make that isn't maybe made at the brewery so much? What's what's your last few brews that you've done at, at home? Um, so the latest has been I've been on a trend of doing dark malts. Oh wow! Um, <laughs> so so basically basically boxcars dark mild i've seen so yeah. much about and it looks like a mm-hmm. banging beer and i can't get it here is that, so, that's the quite strong one isn't it or is that no yeah. so they do the the dark mild and then they do the double dark oh yeah yeah that's so they did a collab yeah. with the malt miller and did the mm-hmm. and i contacted the malt miller and said hey i can't buy the recipe kit can can you um send me the recipe if if possible which they were good yeah. about it sent me the recipe so I brewed that, and that is a fucking awesome beer. And um, but it was like six point six point three percent or something. Because I think basically what they did okay. was their their dark mild's three point six, so they doubled it, so they flipped the numbers yeah. around. So so instead of being three point six, it's six point three for the double. So what I did was everyone had talked about how good the normal dark mild was. So I took the um, 6.3 recipe it scaled it back to a 3.6 and kept the percentages the same mm-hmm. and kind of said it was a, a clone of their beer with never drinking their beer so um, I tried that so I had that now I've got my own on tap I, I wanted to have some tonight but I used that Lalum in London and I find it takes about 8 weeks before the yeast drops. That. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was drinking some last night because I've got it actually carved on cellar mix. So I'm pouring it. So it's mimicking a beer engine as best that I can. I'm getting that creamy head. And uh, so I did the Scottish 80 from the, from the Bible as well recently. I did a, a wheat beer, a, a mid strength wheat beer. Uh, Good lad. The downfall was is that the coriander seeds I got, I, I followed the Allagash. Like, oh, you did a wet then? A yeah, Belgium so wet. I, did a, I did a wet. Um, so I followed like the Allagash dosage rate, but ended up making a 3.6% beer instead of, I think this is like five point something. Yeah, so everything would have been a bit overpowering, wouldn't it? It starts very cat pussy the the coriander nice. so Same i don't know Simco. i don't <laughs> what did i use no i use i use sars in that um sounds like a sounds like a decent beer so yeah. i think it'll i think it'll get kicked over in the backyard take the lid off and boot the keg so oh, is it one of them i don't think i'll get around to drinking it it's winter time and it's not it's not tasting where I want it to taste. I'm actually really fussy with my beers when I make them. This is the weird thing, right? It's like I'm sitting here going, damn, man, it's it's going to get warm again tomorrow and I need to sort stuff out. And you're there going, it's fucking frost on the ground outside. <laughs> so, no, we didn't yeah. get frost. This is not what I was expecting. We've got the Aussie brewer on who's talking about traditional like British and European oh. styles that he's making at home. And we're, uh, yeah, we're in the... I the, need well, to. Right I actually now, need to get your um, your Mars in recipe. 
You want my Mertzen recipe? Oh, yeah. I call it. I'll say no. I'm the same. <laughs> um, because you I, blame Andy for me pronouncing it properly. It's his I, fault. I'll send I, it over to you, mate. It's no problem. I want to. I want to make. So what I've got a plan of is in October is do a like a a group of home brewers that I know and um, just kind of make a closed event for them and say, hey, if you want to bring mini kegs over, let's let's have a big Oktoberfest party <laughs> and all brew all brew German beers and mate I'll that send you the awesome. old beer and I'll sell, I'll send you that the old like beer sounds like a great idea for a theme for my home brew club as well so thanks for that that's just uh, that sounds good. yeah, I, yeah a, a nice if you, idea if you go for, on YouTube there's a 10 hour Oktoberfest playlist <laughs> I plan on I plan on just putting up blue and white banners everywhere. St- stick on the Umpar bands and, and away you go. And have the Bluetooth speaker just cranking <laughs> and pissing the neighbours off. Oh, Love it. Not a problem, man. I'll I'll send you my couple. I'll send you the alt beer and I'll send you the Mertzen as well. Knock yourself out, mate. They're both banging recipes. I don't know how you'll do about getting the yeast over there. I've no idea whether or not you've got access to the same yeast that we've got over here. I would, but I I just stick to, I stick to the basics. What you I'll can't do make is a medicine without a medicine yeast. What I'll do, I'll I'll mimic one and call it a medicine style. I'll uh, trub off some yeast from our lager tank and just chuck that in at home. I mean, you could probably get away with using global. What's global? It's global Munich. Mm, that's thirty four seventy, isn't it? Pretty much. Yeah, you can get away that's with thirty four seventy. That, that's our that's our lager strain. Yeah, you can you can get away with using that. That's not a it's problem. Super clean, such a good yeast. Right. Um. As much as I hate to do this, we're going to have to call this one because I'm getting grief from inside. My phone keeps blowing up. I've already had visitors twice, <laughs> so I think we're going to have to knock this podcast on the head. Um. Ivan, it has been an absolute joy having you on, getting to speak to you and knowing that you're actually real. But more importantly <laughs> for me is is knowing that the way that Australia's going with its craft beer scene and the way in which the beer movement within Australia is going is very much mimicking what we have over here. Yeah, that's been a big thing for me, and it's it's been really cool. Really enjoyed it. So yeah, top, and top. thanks for being the Hop Edition's first international. Yes, so yes, that's awesome. Um, and and just remember, I'm how I call myself is I don't call myself a commercial brewer. I call myself a home brewer that gets paid to make beer. And to be fair, that's not far wrong, is it? <laughs> <laughs> Because you still brew at home, so yeah, yeah, oh, that's cool, man. Yeah, it's great. No, it's been, you're enjoying it's been good. Uh, that move. So I've been, I enjoy the podcast. So it was good to get to get on and have a chat. Yeah, and it, it's been really cool just having somebody else kind of back me up with all the things that I've been saying for years. Which is, if you want to make the jump to commercial, you can do it, but don't think it's going to be easy because yeah. it ain't easy. Yeah. The only thing I won't back you up on is that Lutra isn't isn't a lager. 
It's not an IPL. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, Ivan. Fight the good <laughs> fight. <laughs> Getting shit from <laughs> Australia now. <laughs> Fucking hell. It's I'm not a lager. <laughs> it's not a lager. It's not a lager. It's a, it's a yeah. farmhouse ale that's hoppy. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, I think that's a good good point to uh, finish the podcast yeah, You on fucking there, would so. do, wouldn't you? <laughs> right then. Thank you very much for joining us. I want to take this moment to make a quick shout out to our sponsor, Brew Cake Tap. <laughs> Thank you very much. If you've got anything that you want, specifically Kegland, they stock a lot of Kegland stuff. Uh, if you've got anything ferment or dispense, then, you know, hit up Brew Cake Tap at brewcaketap.co.uk. Uh, speak to Johnny, ask him how his surfing's going, and tell him the Hop Edition sent you. Also, I forgot to give a shout out at the start to our Patreons. So many thanks to all of our Patreons. We've had we've had a few new Patreons who've joined us this last week. Um, I would give you all a shout out, but to be honest, I d- I don't have the page open and I'm six beers in, so I'm not even going to try and fumble <laughs> with that particular. We'll shout you out on the next podcast, guys. But much you will get a massive shout out. But we do appreciate every single one of our one of our Patreons. And other than that. Thanks very much for joining us this evening. We've really enjoyed your company. Ivan, you're a legend. And, uh, yeah, anything you guys want to say before we go? No, that's it from me. So, uh, yeah, just thanks again to Ivan for coming on the pod. It's been great. Yeah, no, cheers. It's been good. Take it easy, guys. Maybe We're out. again sometime. Oh, always, Definitely. mate. You are more than welcome. <laughs>